Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. The Bible is a story of hope, and it's a story of goodness. Two Hebrew words, tikva and tov. Tikva means hope. Tov means good. The entire story from start to finish is a, a journey of hope walking into the full revelation of the goodness of God. It opens in the story of creation where God, out of his own eternal essence, out of his own goodness, begins to create something where there was nothing. And if you know the story, you know he, he creates something on day one and something on day two and again on day three and four and five. And at the end of each creation movement, he says, that's tov. This, this is good. But then you get to day six, and God outdoes himself. You know the story. He creates mankind, Adam and Eve, in his own image, something unlike anything else. And he step backs and he acknowledges that he's done something extraordinary, and he says what? This is very good. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're very tove. Does that feel awkward? So to those of you sitting next to no one, you also are very tov. He said, I, I exceeded myself. I, I made something in my own image with, with the capacity to know, to think, to love, and to worship. And Scripture says that Adam and Eve, our first parents, would walk with God in the cool of the day. So in the evening, they would walk through the garden, and God would talk to them about his purpose about his plans, and about their role in it. And then there comes this moment where this beautiful serpent appears in the garden. And he speaks first to Eve and then to Adam. And in that moment, our first parents were lied to. They were convinced by this serpent that God was not, in fact, Tove, that he wasn't good, that he had a different kind of agenda, that he was actually a God that was withholding things from them, limiting them in some way. He, he convinced that, them that, that God was somehow toying with them, that he was cheating them out of something that would be good for them. They, they couldn't really know everything that was going on. He, he persuaded them in that conversation that he, the serpent, was actually their friend, and God was, in fact, their enemy. And so he said, if you want to resolve this, you need to take control. Don't listen to what God is telling you because he's not tov. He's not good. If you want to experience goodness, you need to be the ones who determine what is good and what is evil. And that same day, Adam and Eve abandoned their daily walk with God, walking out of that relationship because in that moment they believed they had found something better. And with that one choice, that, that horrible choice, our parents chose to believe and to worship the serpent rather than believe and worship God. And they, they realized too late in the exchange that they had exchanged the truth of God for a lie, that the serpent was, in fact, Satan in disguise. They've been tricked. They've been kidnapped, sold into the slavery of their own rebellion, a rebellion that we learn later that Satan himself had first begun in heaven. But he was cast out, even as Adam and Eve now find themselves cast out of the garden and far from God. Because rebellion always has the same result. We assume freedom, we pursue freedom, but we find slavery 
and find ourselves in need of rescue, as Adam and Eve do. Now, this is where hope comes in. God is really good. God's not like me. Everyone should say, thank you, Jesus. If this was me in the story, I'd be looking at Adam and Eve and saying, well, there's six days wasted. Um, I'm going to have to start again. They broke it. I'm going to eradicate it, and I'm going to build something better. But God doesn't do that because God is good. Here's the thing about Jesus. When life gets hard, God gets good. And we see his goodness expressed sometimes in the most dark and the most challenging times rather than in the easiest, lightest, and joy-filled times. I don't know if it's because we're more desperate for it, more aware of it, or it just seems to be more significant in those moments. But God has this habit of stepping into the darkest places when we think all is lost and saying, let me give you hope. Let me do good to you. Where he could have washed his hands of the entire situation, stepped back and said, that's on you guys. Instead, God speaks a a message of hope, a message of tikva to Adam and Eve. Let me read it to you. This is Genesis 3, beginning in verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, because you have pulled them away, you are cursed more than all animals, both domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. This is, this is judgment. Excuse me. This is punishment coming to the serpent. But then he goes on and he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. You will strike his heel. This is a moment of impending judgment. God is looking forward into the future to the moment we just celebrated at the conclusion of worship where Jesus would go to the cross as the the sacrifice for you and for me. And in that moment, the curse would be lifted, the power of Satan would be broken, and you and I would be invited back into relationship with God the Father. Because God is good, he looks at Adam, looks at Eve, looks in the serpent and says, I'm not done. There is more to the story. Have you ever felt like you've come to the end of your rope? Like I am, I am at my wit's end. I just can't, I don't know how to move on. I don't know how to move forward. This is just as good as it gets. And I guess I just need to kind of suck it up and deal. In those moments, God would say to you, I'm not done. There is more to the story that I am still writing. That's what this promise is. God's goodness had been corrupted, but God was committed to put it right again. And so throughout the generations, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, and all of the others, there is this refrain that echoed that they would share as the people of Israel. They would say to each other, in my words, there's more to the story. God's not done. And it's this sense that God wasn't done with them, that he was continuing to move the story forward. This is what sustained Israel through the most difficult times. God made a promise, and God keeps his promises, and God is good. So if God is good, his promises are good, and his fulfillment of those promises will also be good. I I told you a few weeks ago that my mom's like a low-key genius, Uh, I'll I'll show her my notes, and she'll just kind of drop something awesome on me. So I'm like, hey, mom, I'm teaching on hope this week. And she goes, oh, you know what I heard about hope? I'm like, come on, give it to me. She said, when God speaks a promise, faith believes it, hope anticipates it, and patience waits for it. God speaks a promise. 
he spoke a promise to Adam and Eve about a restoration that was to come, and they chose to trust the promise because they trusted God. Hope anticipates it, expects it. Hope speaks of expectation of looking forward in faith, faith and hope together, to a moment that will come at some point in the future. Patience speaks of perseverance. Love faith, love hope, not a huge fan of patience. Anybody else in the room? And yet you can't take any of those three away and still get to where Jesus is leading us. Trusting in the goodness of God, believing in his goodness, looking forward to its fulfillment, and waiting. This is what gave the people of Israel hope, which is what I want to talk to you about in our remaining time this morning. Let me tell you a story. So hope, hope is a funny thing. We use the word hope pretty, pretty easily, pretty frequently, and it doesn't mean what it means when God speaks about hope in the Bible. Uh, one of my kids, okay, Kaylee, um, I said one of my kids in the first service, and everybody went, Kaylee, your dad's talking about you, so I might as well just say Kaylee. So Kaylee's up north visiting her grandparents. She's been up there for two weeks, and it's time for her to fly home. Um, and so as, as a good, loving father who wants her to be fully prepared, I'm having conversations with her about when she needs to leave for the airport. You need to consider TSA. That will take six years. Um, traffic in the area isn't great. Um, you're going to have to drop a bag. So we have all this conversation. We kind of agree on a time where she's going to leave. Whew. Dad's done his job. Good. Now, we have an app called Life360, which if you're a parent, this is how you lojack your kids. Um, uh, or your spouses. I mean, we're all on it together, so you know where they are. And, and about 25 minutes after kind of the agreed-upon time for Kaylee to hit the road, I open my Life360 app to check her progress, and she has not left. I start getting a little nervous. Like, this isn't awesome. So I text her mom, hey, Kaylee hasn't left yet. I hope she makes her flight. When I said, I hope she makes her flight, what I meant was, I have a really strong desire that she makes her flight so I don't have to buy another ticket. I have a really strong desire that she makes her flight so I don't have to drive up to Washington to get her. This is hope with no substance. This is the hope we're talking about when someone says, I hope I win the lottery. I too hope I win the lottery. I would have to play it to win it, but I hope I, I win the lottery. I have a very strong desire to have a lot of money. But I had no true hope that she was going to make it. My my understanding of traffic patterns in the greater Seattle area, um, the fact that her grandma was driving, who Life360 told me she went super fast. Parents, you can also see how fast your kids are going. It's awesome. I got some parents like, yes, we do. Um, but uh, grandma was driving, so it's okay. So I'm watching them, and, and this thing is happening inside of me. As, as Grandma Donna's speed goes down, my blood pressure goes up. You're not going to make it. As her speed goes up, my blood pressure comes down. Okay, maybe there's a chance. Now, as it turns out, Kaylee was fine. Got to the airport on time, got her bag dropped off on time, got through TSA on time, and caught her flight on time. And to be honest, I was just a little bit bummed. Because I had the world's best I told you so speech just dialed up and ready to go. Turns out my daughter knew more about how to get to the airport and when to get to the airport than I did. So the kind of hope I was holding on to when I said, I hope she makes it, is not really hope at all. There's no substance to it. Substance to it. It's rooted in a desire rather than anything else. When, 
when the Bible speaks of hope, it speaks of an expectation. That's what the Hebrew word tikva for hope actually means. Hope is an expectation of good to come. So tikva and tov, hope and good, are inextricably linked. It's an expectation that we will experience good that is rooted in both the nature and in the promises of God. Here's how it works. Because God is good and God loves me, I can expect good to come to me. That's hope. Because God is good. Is God good? Because God loves me. Does God love you? I can expect good to come to me. This is hope. We see it in Genesis. It carries through every book all the way through to the book of Revelation. The entire Bible is a story of hope that describes the process through which God re-enters broken relationships to restore relationship, restore creation, and to restore hope. Whenever Israel got discouraged because life was hard, a prophet would stand and say, in essence, there is more to the story. God's not done. Hope always looks forward to a better future, not simply out of desire, but out of understanding. God is a promise giver, a promise keeper, and he's good to me. Through every lost battle, through captivity and exile, whenever life got hard, there was always a voice that would rise up and say, listen, don't forget, there's more to the story. God's not done. God hasn't given up on us. He has not forgotten about us. There's more to the story. Now, now fast forward with me through a couple thousand years to the cross. Jesus is on the cross. People have been holding on to this message of hope for thousands of years. And now, as the fulfillment of that hope hangs on the cross, he makes this declaration, die. He says, it is finished. And in that moment, he is saying that his assignment to pay the penalty for sin was done. That in that moment, he was breaking the power of evil. He was breaking the power of hell. But God wasn't done. There was more to the story yet to come. If God's story ended with Jesus on the cross, it would be an amazing story. It'd be the best story ever told. Our debt's been paid. We have peace with God. We're, we're forgiven. We can enter into relationship with him once again. But the Gospels don't end there. They carry on to this other event where this woman named Mary Mary goes to the tomb. She wants to anoint Jesus for burial, and what does she find? Nothing. There's an empty tomb. I got to tell you, I'm getting ready to preach myself happy. So if if me getting excited makes you uncomfortable, this might be the time to get earplugs. Not because I'm going to yell, but this is a big stinking deal. The empty tomb declared to the disciples and later to the world as good as that moment was. And that was the greatest moment mankind had ever known. But as great as that moment was, there was more yet to come. God wasn't finished. There was more to the story. The resurrection, the ascension, the impartation of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, these are all simply markers to one profound truth. God's not finished. He's still writing his story. He still isn't done. This is where our hope comes from. Because God's not done, and because God says, I will be with you even to the end of the age, you and I, it is our birthright to be people of hope. 
not people who respond to what's going on in the world around us, but people who hope despite what goes on in the world around us. Because we understand there is a power greater at work than whatever is creating whatever situation or circumstance we may be facing in the moment. 1 Peter 3.3, speaking of this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What kind of a hope? Is this a yesterday hope? Is this a someday hope? It's a today hope. God, we have been born again into a living hope, something present and active, speaking of God's goodness today, not at some point in the distant future. Think about this with me. I don't know how hard things have been at different times in your life. If there's ever been a moment where you looked at something and went, well, that's dead and gone. I mean, that's, that's never coming back. I, I might as well give up. If God's goodness could bring life back to Jesus' body, dead for three days, what could the goodness of God do for you? There is no area of your life over which Christ does not reign and into which he cannot bring resurrection power. Do you understand what I'm saying right now? There is no area of your life over which Christ does not reign and into which he cannot reach with resurrection power and bring that thing, dead though it may look, back from the grave. This is our living hope. The resurrection was a declaration. The resurrection said nothing is off limits. Nothing is beyond the reach of God's power. Death does not have the final word in the future or in the present. Doing all right? All right, just checking. Want to make sure you're breathing. Okay, John, I get that. I get that. I hear what you're saying. I should be hopeful. Yay! Uh, but I don't feel very hopeful. How do, how do I reconcile that tension between what you were saying is available to me and what I'm actually feeling in this moment? If you're struggling with hope, you don't feel like a hopeful person, if you're kind of glued to that Life360 app and Whatever you see on the screen determines your level of hope. You are not alone. You're not alone in the New Testament. You're not alone at LFC. Which is why Paul says, in order to live as a people of hope, from time to time, we need the Holy Spirit to engage with us in such a way that we can be hopeful again. And when Paul was talking to people about this, he didn't lecture, he didn't berate, he didn't judge, he didn't say, what's your problem that you're not hopeful? You know what he did? prayed. Listen to his prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart, he prayed, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Eyes of your heart being enlightened. Paul's prayer was, I, I pray that God would wake something inside of you in your innermost being, that your spirit would become alerted, that you might be able to see and discern what God is doing in you and what God is doing around you. Because when the eyes of your heart, the, the inner being, begin to see from God's perspective, you begin to discover hope again. Because you can see where God is working when no one else can. You understand that there is more to the story, despite what is happening. Bishop Desmond Tutu said this. He said, hope is being able to see that there is light, despite all the darkness. When God quickens you in your inner being, you see light where other people see dark. You see opportunity 
when other people see tragedy because you know God's not done. You know that there's more to the story. And then he says, this hope to which he has called you. I, I read that this week, and I, I just kind of had this picture like God standing on a mountaintop, right? Everest-esque, like as, as high as he could. And he's just looking at all of his creation, and he knows that he is Lord over it all. And he knows that there's not any shadow anywhere in this land that he can't permeate with his light. Called to hope, I feel like it's Jesus saying, hey, John, come here, stand next to me. I want you to see what I see. I've called you to a place of hope. I haven't called you to a place of worry. I haven't called you to a place of fear. I haven't called you to a place of doubt. I haven't called you to a place of anxiety. This is where I want you to be, and I am committed to help you get here. How you view Scripture determines how you see the world. How you see God sets your perspective and influences your hope. I've had so many conversations with people, even many of them pastors, who are bemoaning what's going on in the world around them, and they go straight back to the fall. It's Adam's fault. It's Eve's fault. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. We just need to hunker down, and someday Jesus is going to come back and take us all away. If your worldview is focused through the lens of the fall, all you see is darkness. But if your perspective is set by Christ's death and resurrection, you know that God has already stepped in and you have hope for both the present and the future. You're not waiting for God to do something at some indeterminate time in the future because you understand God has already done something in the past that we are currently living out and he is continuing to do in the present. We serve a God who is a God not of the dead, but of the living. These are his words, not mine. We don't view culture, society, or ourselves through the lens of the fall, but through the lens of the resurrection because God is bringing things to life. And this is why you and I have hope. Last week, Pastor Bernie said something really important as he was talking about negotiating hard times. I appreciated a lot of what he said. But one of the things he said that really resonated is he had a box right here. And he said, the antidote to hard times is an eternal perspective. True. So true. And so I've been wrestling this week, kind of talking to the Lord about how do I have an eternal perspective? And, and here's what I've come to. I think an eternal perspective is simply looking at things from God's point of view. I think that's what an eternal, God, what do you see? This is why Paul says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. God, how do you view this situation, this opportunity, this challenge? Jesus said he had come that we might experience eternal life, right? Remember that? You can have eternal life. When the Bible speaks of eternal life, it's not speaking of heaven forever with Jesus. Eternal life is not something that begins when we die. Eternal life is something that begins when we surrender our lives to Christ. This is what Jesus said. John 17, 3, he's praying. And he says, this is eternal life. Let me define it for you that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is ongoing, interactive relationship with Jesus now and forever. So an eternal perspective has to do with seeing what God is doing right now and anticipating what God is going to do in the future. It's understanding he's not done. He is still working. 
Guys, if you take nothing else from the message this morning, two things I want you to take. Life 360 app. Parents, low jack your kids. Here's the second. God's not done. There is more to the story. Whatever your story is, there is more to come. And when you and I are surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, whatever is yet to come is going to be good. You may need to personalize this. You may need to say, God's not done. There's more to my story. You may feel like you're at the end of your story. You may just need to speak to your own soul. You may need to speak to hell and go, God's not done. There's more to my story. What bound me in the past is not going to bind me in the future. What was broken in the past will not be broken in the future. Do you know why? Because God's not done. And because there is more to my story. Romans 5, 5 says that hope we have in God's goodness being expressed in us, it doesn't disappoint, which means God doesn't allow us to trust in him and go, <laughs> just kidding. Hebrew says it's an anchor for our souls. This, this hope that God's goodness will be expressed to us is what holds us fast when the storm and the waves come. I'm going to close with this. Guys, the Bible begins and it ends with God creating. Creation is not over in the first two, three chapters of Genesis. It begins, Genesis 1, we know the story, in the beginning God created. But when you turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, who is that? That's Jesus. Jesus said, behold, I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down. You're going to need to remember this. Write this down. I'm making all things new. What does this mean? Jesus is speaking in the present tense. He didn't say, I made all things new. I will make all things new. He says, right now, guys, I am making things new. I am restoring things right now. I am resurrecting things right now. I am bringing life to things right now. I'm not done. There is more to the story. God has not finished working in you, in your family, in your work, in your community, in your home. God's not done. And our hope comes not from a desire, but from a confidence and an understanding in the unchanging nature of the goodness of our God. If you need hope this morning, like John, I'm, I'm one of those, man. I need, I need the eyes of my heart. I need, him to, I, need him to, I need him to wake up. I just, that's not what I see when I look around. I'm going to pray for you in a couple moments. But I also want to give you three things that you can do to grow as a person of hope. Sometimes we say, God, do it for me. And sometimes God says, hey, John, do it with me. Here are three things we can do with God to become people of hope. Here's the first one. Practice gratitude. Look for the places where you've already experienced the goodness of God. Why would I do that? Because when I identify where I have already experienced his love, his grace, his healing, his forgiveness, his goodness, and I understand that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and when? Forever. Man, super glad he was that way in the past, yesterday. Pumped that he's going to be like that forever. I need him like that today. When I practice gratitude, I look to the places where he's already been good. It builds hope for me to live anticipation in anticipation of his goodness today. 
That's the first one, practice gratitude. Here's the second one. If you need hope, bring hope to others. How do I do that? Smile at somebody. Meet a need. I, you know, I was going through Starbucks this morning. Sorry, the cafe wasn't open yet. Um, and, I'm, and I'm checking out, and I, and I paid for the coffee of the person behind me. And I can't say why other than, like, yeah, I felt like I probably needed to do that. I don't know how God might use that. Whenever we meet a need, whenever we, we, we feed the homeless, we pray for the sick, we advocate for a single mom, a single dad, whenever we do something like that, an act of kindness, we are making a declaration to them, you are not alone. God's not done. There's more to the story. They may not understand it that completely, but those are the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit uses to begin to speak truth and minister hope to people. So become an agent of hope. If hope has grown dim, you will be testifying to your own spirit about the goodness of God as you operate as his hand and his feet. Here's the last one. It's everyone's favorite. You may need to repent. If necessary, repent. Repent simply means to change the way you think, to change the way you think about God. That's what changes our behavior, changing the way we think about God. This morning, you may need to say, God, I've been really focused on everything that's going wrong. I have not looked to see your goodness expressed in my life. Forgive me and help me see what it is that you see. We're going to do an exercise right now to remind ourselves of the source of our hope. We learned a song this morning that speaks about the power of God, the victory of God, the love of God, the life of God. I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me. If you need to remember how good God is, if you need hope to rise again, make this your prayer and your declaration. See what God will do. If you're like brimming with hope, great. Sing this with all you've got as intercession for those around you who are still wrestling to find their hope. Lord, we choose to declare that you are good and that you are good all the time. As we lift these words of praise to you, confessions of who you are, God, in Jesus' name, let hope arise in every heart that grows weary. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.